It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Well, we're going to continue in Ephesians uh, this morning. I figure it could be fun. Uh, Since we're not going to have an Ephesians message this week, I figure this could be a, uh, a cheat, I guess. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, we've been walking in a brand new section, which begins in verse 15, and it's the prayer that Paul's praying for those in Ephesus. Uh, Paul has two prayers that he prays, uh, one in chapter 1, and then the other one is in chapter 3. And uh, what I'd like to do is just read the prayer itself, uh, which begins in verse 15, and I'll just read down through verse 19. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says this, Therefore, I also, after hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, mentioning you in my prayers, so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints." And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? What an incredible prayer. Uh, We were talking about last time, we were looking at verses 15 and 16. And just as a quick review, uh, Paul says that he's hearing something about those in Ephesus. And it's two specific things. One, he's hearing of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love toward all their saints. And we were looking at this idea, wouldn't it be interesting if what people heard in our lives is those two things. They heard of our faith, this overwhelming uh, dependency, this idea of, hey, I put my trust and belief in Jesus Christ, that it's not just, uh, it's not merely words, it is the reality of Christ in our lives. And not only just the faith, but also the love, which is the character and the nature of Christ himself. In other words, wouldn't it be interesting if people actually knew us as Christians? Which is an, an odd thought, but it seems like in today's culture, Christians are known for a lot of things, but it seems like what we're not known for is our faith and for our love. And Paul says, I've heard of something. I've heard of your faith, and I've heard of your love. And I think that would change the world today if Christians today were known for those two things. And he says, because of that, verse 16, I do not cease giving thanks for you, mentioning you in my prayers. That there's this overwhelming, oh, I just, you just keep coming to my mind, and there's just this delight in my heart the fact that I'm hearing of your faith and your love. Now, he comes into verse 17, which is what we're focusing on today, and he says, so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I find it fascinating that the Christian life uh, is never stagnant. Uh, It is never still. It is never stale. It is supposed to be ever-growing and deepening and expanding as we move throughout life. That the Christ- Christianity is not a uh, bump your head on the altar once and you've made it. Uh, Christianity is not uh, say this little prayer and whoo, you're good to go. Uh, Christianity is not, hey, check this list and you're, you're, you're fine. You realize that Christianity is this ever-deepening, enriching relationship and intimacy with the living God. And as such, isn't it neat that Paul's prayer, that his yearning for those in Ephesus, <clears throat> is that they would continue down that road. Uh, In other words, as you walk through this first chapter of Ephesians, it's interesting 
that he calls them saints in verse 1. He calls them forgiven, that they're chosen, that they're adopted, that they're sealed. In verse 15, he says, hey, you've had faith. And yet, while that's all true, and yet here's this phenomenal reality of these, of these believers in Ephesus, you recognize that according to Paul, the fact that you're, you're, you're a saint and you're forgiven and, hey, you're sealed and you've been chosen and you're adopted, as great as those are, it's like there's more yet to be had. That there, that, or as Eric would even say, that there's this endless frontier that we're to be pressing down. That the narrow way of the cross is an endless journey, this adventure that we get to partake of. And you begin to recognize that Paul's yearning then is that it's not that they don't have insight, it's just that, oh, there's more to be had. And the way he phrases that, verse 17 in Ephesians 1, is so that God of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is his prayer, the Father of glory, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Now, he prays a very similar pl- prayer in Colossians, and I'll just read that really quick to you. But in Colossians 1, Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So it's a very similar concept that he's, even, he's crying forth in Colossians. But it's that, oh, there's more to be had. Don't just be satisfied with where you're at. In other words, be, be delighted and be content. Or as Andrew Murray said, ask me if I'm satisfied with where I'm at. And he says, with every fiber of my being, I would say, yes, I am satisfied in Christ but let us never hesitate to say, this is only the beginning. That, that, that's Paul's prayer. That, hey, yes, you may be a saint and you're chosen, you're adopted and you're sealed and all, all this stuff may be true, but he says, I'm praying that somehow there'd be a greater revelation in this wisdom and insight of who God is in your life. Now, as you look at those words, uh, that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, uh, the word there, wisdom, it's the Greek word Sophia, uh, it's also, by the way, used in verse 8 that we looked at some time ago, probably months ago. Uh, but that word <clears throat> has this idea of, uh, it's not just wisdom as you would think of uh, wisdom. Uh, a lot of times we think of wisdom as applied knowledge, and that is true in the passage. But this word has this idea of a searching intellect. It's the answers to eternal problems of life and death, God and the world, time and eternity. It's interesting that this word in Greek has this idea it often relates to skills or expertise or learning. But what's neat is as you get into the heart of this idea of wisdom, the idea of wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. It's like gaining his perspective on a situation. It's like gaining his heart on a matter. Another way to perhaps understand is, is, is it's, a, it's, a, it's the deep things of God. Isn't it neat that what Paul's praying for those in Ephesus is that, oh, that somehow they would understand the deep things of God? that somehow they'd understand and gain God's perspective, that somehow they would have his heart and his mind for their world. And I don't know about you, but I need that. That, that I, can, I can see things from my perspective, but I, I really need his perspective in my life. Now, that idea of wisdom shows up all throughout Scripture, and I'm just going to give you a couple of passages, but I just these are so awesome. Uh, Psalm 51.6. Uh, David writes, Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you reveal wisdom in the secret heart. All over Proverbs, there's this idea, for example, Proverbs 3, 13, 
Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For her gain, speaking of wisdom, is far better than silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Do you know how great wisdom is? It's better than gold. Uh, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without, a, uh, without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. James 3.17. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And you realize that God wants to give you wisdom. And I need wisdom. And Paul's praying for those in Ephesus saying, hey, it's, it's great that you, of what you have, and I've heard of your faith and I've heard of your love, but I'm praying that there just be this deepening of the life of God within you, that you begin to gain his heart and his mind, and you would have his wisdom for your day. Now that word revelation is fascinating. Uh, the word revelation, and let me just get, read you the definition. It has this idea of to lay bare, to make naked, a disclosure of truth, it's instruction concerning things before unknown, to uncover, to unveil, or to make known. It's this idea of this, it's an unveiling. For example, the book of Revelation, uh, verse 1, says it is a revelation of Jesus. And you realize the whole book of Revelation is not so much on this, Ooh, what's going to happen in the future? It is a picture, it's an unveiling of Jesus Christ. And yet it may have to do with some stuff in the future, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an unveiling of who he is. It's, it's uncovering who he is. Uh, that word revelation, uh, if you want an illustration, uh, I like the theater, and I love going to the theater, and you sit in the middle of the theater, and there's a certain moment in the theater when the, the music hits the first note, which is my favorite note of the whole thing, it's ba-bam, right? And the curtains are pulled back, and what is behind the curtain is revealed. That's this kind of idea. Uh, I've never been to one, but I've hear that at fancy restaurants, you know, they, they bring you this, the food on a silver platter, and there's this dome thing on, on the top of it. Never had this experience. But I, I hear that, you know, when, when, they, when they bring it to you, right, it, your food is covered. But at the, at the right moment, they take the cover and wah, right, and it's unveiled, and all the steam explodes, and there's this whiff of the, the smells and all that kind of stuff. Again, I'm just presuming, right, never had it. But there's this unveiling that what was underneath the cover has now been unveiled. So think about what Paul is praying. He says, oh, I'm praying that you would have the wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, it's like I'm praying that there would be this pulling back, that there would be this, this revealing of the deep things of God in your life. That says somehow you would have his heart and his mind, that there would be this uncovering of what he's wanting to do. That somehow you would gain the knowledge of him. I think that's just beautiful. And again, that idea of revelation flows all throughout Scripture. But again, it's this idea of, hey, I, uh, Paul says, hey, the, the gospel that I'm preaching was not given to me by men. It was given to me by revelation. That, that there was this unveiling of the gospel. That it, it's like God took Paul and put him in a theater seat, had a big note, ba -ba, right? And you, he pulled back the curtains, and the reality of the gospel was unveiled. That the life of Jesus in the book of Revelation is unveiled. And Paul says, I'm praying that that would happen in your life. That Jesus would just be unveiled. That there would be this revelation in the knowledge of him. That there would just be this insight in who he is. That there would just be this, oh, I get it, in light of who he is. That there would be this pulling back, and you would gain the deep things of God in your life. 
And again, I don't know about you, but I need that. Not just once in a while. I need that for life. That I want to live in the reality of Jesus Christ. I want to live in the wisdom of Jesus Christ. I want to live in the revelation of Jesus Christ every moment of every single day. Now, what is it that this wisdom and revelation is, is aiming toward? Paul says in verse 17, I pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, I'm a big fan of the word knowledge in Scripture. Uh, this particular word, it's the word epinosis. And what's fun about the word, it, it means a precise or correct knowledge. In other words, what Paul's praying is that you would have wisdom and revelation in the precise and correct knowledge of God. Isn't that awesome? That things would not be obscured. That, that there would be no haze. That, that somehow as you're getting into him, there'd be this pulling back of the curtain. You would understand the deep things and who he is in his precise and correct manner as revealed in the word of God would become known. That it's not hazy. It's, oh, it's becoming crystal clear. But what's really neat about that word epinosis is that the root word of the word epinosis is my favorite word, which is gnosko. And again, for those who haven't sat through my gnosko stuff, let me give you the quick idea. Uh, in the Greek, there are three primary words for the word knowledge. Uh, one has to do with facts and data and information, and it's, it's academic kind of knowledge. So I pick up a piece of newspaper, and I read newspaper, and it's academic, right? Two plus two, I think, is still four, right? It, that's, that's facts, data, information kind of knowledge. Uh, there's a knowledge in the Greek that has this idea of perception and understanding. Uh, some, sometimes we translate it to see. But it's not so much you see as much as you see. See, right? right? It's this idea of perception. It's this idea of understanding. And, oh, I get it. It says like uh, Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he saw their hearts. Right? He, he knew what was in their minds. Right? Like, like I can now look at you and I can perceive that most of you are so tired and haven't had your coffee this morning. Right? Now, I don't know that factually, I just have a perception because of your faces, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, so that was just a joke. But there's, there's facts and data and information kind of knowledge. There's this idea of perception, understanding kind of knowledge. The lights have turned on kind of knowledge. But then there's this idea of gnosko, which is a knowledge not so much from facts, data, information, or perception. It's a knowledge that's based on experience, relationship, intimacy, that kind of stuff. That how do I know it? Oh, I know, I know it because I've experienced it. Uh, one of my cheesy examples, you know, I'm driving down the road, and I see a sign, and the sign says 35 miles an hour. And you could say, Nathan, do you know what the speed limit is? I go, yes, I have the facts, data, and the information for that sign. It is 35 miles an hour. But that is completely different then if I'm driving down the road and I look at my rearview mirror and there's this party lights going on, right? And I go, hey, look, party lights. I should probably pull over so I can partic participate in the party, right? And I pull over to the side of the road and this man in a full party uniform and a full party hat comes over and knocks on my window and says, sir, I would like to invite you to my party, but I want to need to see your license and registration. And I say, oh, absolutely, because I want to participate in the party, right? And he gives me this little certificate, this yellow piece of paper, and I, and I get to pay $247 to participate in the party, right? And you can come up to me and say, Nathan, do you know what the speed limit is? I go, 35, mile, 35 miles an hour. 
And you go, how do you know that? I experienced it. <laughs> right? That's very different than the factual data information kind of stuff. Isn't it neat that what Paul is praying for those in Ephesus, which by extension is the prayer that he's praying for you, he's praying for the saints that somehow, he goes, I've heard of your faith, and I've heard of your overwhelming love. That It's not that you just give, give lip service to God, that you've actually put on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're living out the Christian life. That you don't just say, well, yeah, I have love, but you're actually demonstrating love to the world. He says, I, I've heard of those things, but what I'm actually praying for you is that you would take the relationship that you're in now and it would go to a whole nother level, that there'd be a progression in your spiritual life, that, that somehow you would gain this insight, this, this applied knowledge, this, the deep things of God, his perspective in your, in your life, that somehow you would gain the depth of who he is, that there'd be this unveiling, that there'd be this pulling back of the curtain and you would begin to understand and see and, under, and wrap, wrap your mind around who he is. Why? That you would gain this knowledge of him, which is a precise and correct knowledge. That there would be a removal of the fog and the haziness and, the, and all that. Hey, that would all be true. But ultimately, Paul says, what I'm longing for is that you would you begin to experience and know him. Not know him in the sense of academics. That, that's important. right? You, you need to be studying the word. But if all you ever do is study it, you realize it's still insufficient. Because you can have all the right answers, still die and go to hell. Because it's not about the information. The demons have information, but none of us go, ooh, great Christians. Right? Though they may have all the facts and data and information. Satan quoted scripture. He knows scripture. That doesn't mean he's making it in. Uh, Jesus in John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life. What's eternal life, Jesus? That they may gnosko you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What is the reality of eternal life? Intimacy. It's relationship kind of stuff. And so it's not a, down, it's not a downgrading of information as much as it, as it is, hey, press in and have relationship. And the information should drive you to relationship. And the information should drive you to greater intimacy. And the information and the study should drive you to this experience of actually knowing him, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So it's not, it's not a saying, hey, don't study. You should be studying. It's not saying, hey, don't get into this. You should be getting into this. But what Paul's heart is for is not just information. He's all about the transformation and the relationship and the intimacy. That somehow that there be this unveiling of the deep things of God in your life that somehow you would grab a hold of and understand and, and not just have the precise and the correct knowledge of him, which is really important, but that somehow you would begin to embrace him in relationship and intimacy. And Jesus says, this is eternal life. Isn't it neat to think that eternal life doesn't start when you die? Eternal life starts now. Why? Because it's relational. And I love, I love the fact in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is talking about the fact that for right now, we get to gnosko him. But then we get to epigonosko, which is this expanding idea of this gnosko thing. I mean, if you think the relationship is good now, woo, wait till you get to heaven. Because this thing is going to be, it's going to increase. 
And as amazing as this is now, hey, that's only going to be that much greater. And Paul says, I want that for you. Even here and right now. And it's interesting as we continue forward in the prayer, which we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks, it's interesting that Paul's yearning is that you would not be satisfied with where you're at. In other words, you can be content with where you're at, but don't be satisfied in the sense of you just stop and you rest and you say, I'm, I'm comfortable. Uh, one of the illustrations I keep using is, if you can imagine, let's say in this back room, you know, we, we, we stack from floor to ceiling $100 bills. And we say, all right, here's, here's, here's your option. You can go in there, but you can only go in there once. And when you come out, whatever you have is what you get. Now, I don't know about you, but if I went in there, I'm not pulling out one $100 bill. I'm confident if Sandy went in there, she's not just going to grab one. Yeah, wouldn't you? I mean, I, I, I would be sewing pockets. I would be like taking my shirt and filling it up. Why? Because I get one, one chance, right, to, to take as much money as possible. So I would take as much as I could. Isn't it interesting with Jesus, there is no limits? That he says, you can have as much as you want. And yet we are so content with so little. It's like we have just a little bit, and we're like, oh, I'm good. I attend church on Sundays, I'm fine. I, I have just a little bit of a relationship, I'm good to go. Wouldn't it be amazing if I pursued Jesus with all that I am? Why? Because it's about this. And this is limitless with Jesus. So if you think about what Paul's praying, he says, I've, I've heard of something. I've heard of your faith and your love. That you've actually, you're living out the Christian life. And Paul says, my deep prayer for you is that you would not be content with where you're at. He's already calling them saints. He's, he's already calling them chosen and adopted that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, hey, that you have faith. And as great as that is, Paul says, don't be content. Press on. And his prayer, the very heart of his prayer is, oh, that you would gain wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who he is. Again, then there'd be this unveiling of the deep things of God in your life. That somehow you would just begin to understand who he is. But not just academically, relationally. I love what Thomas Kelly said. He said, this is not knowing about Jesus, but becoming unmistakably acquainted with him. Isn't that good? Or as T. Austin Sparks said, one of my favorite quotes of his, the mark of a life governed by the Holy Spirit is that such a life is continually and ever more and more occupied with Christ. That Christ is becoming greater and greater as time goes on. Oh, the depths, the fullness of Christ. If we live as long as ever man lived, we shall still be only on the fringe of this vast fullness that Christ is. Do you realize that there is far more to be had? There's far more down this endless frontier. That the narrow way of the cross does not have an endpoint. It does, it's Jesus. But you realize that you can be pursuing Jesus 24 hours a day for the rest of your life and you're still at, only at the very tippity top of the iceberg of all that there is of who God is. So why wouldn't we give our lives to knowing him? Not just knowing about him, but actually knowing him. And that is Paul's prayer, that you would gain a wisdom and revelation in the knowledge 
of who he is. I want that. And my encouragement to you this week is don't settle. Don't be comfortable. Don't just slow down and rest. We should be pressing on all the harder. Or as I've often said, it's how we know Jesus next week better be greater than we know him now. And how we know Jesus in a month from now better be far greater than we knew him last month. And our relationship with Jesus a year from now better be more passionate than it was a year ago. And hey, if you think we're excited for Jesus now, whoo, just give us a few more years. Because this thing should only be increasing and deepening and expanding and just getting richer and richer and richer and richer. Because that's, that's what relationship does. Would you have the wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him? Let's pray. Lord, it seems simple. But too often times I get so distracted by everything but you. And Lord, my, my prayer is that what Paul was yearning for those in Ephesus, as Paul was yearning that he would, as he heard of their faith and their love, that they were known for something, they were known as Christians. Lord, I want my life to be known as a Christian. That somehow when people think of me, I, they don't think of me, they, they, they think of my overwhelming faith and love. In fact, would you even let me fade and all they think about is you? Lord, I need wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are. Not just the mere theory. Lord, I need it in practicality. Lord, I need your perspective. I, I need the deep things of you. I, I need applied knowledge. Lord, I need this correct and precise understanding. Lord, I need an unveiling of who you are in my life for my situations and my circumstances and my family and my finances and my whatever. Lord, I need an unveiling of you. I need, I need to see it from your perspective that this isn't just a, oh no, a flat tire, but this is, wow, God's going to do something in the midst of a flat tire. So Lord, in my life, I just pray afresh that, that you, there would be an unveiling of the deep things of you. And Lord, I pray that the knowledge of you would be that which I yearn and crave for. Not just information about you, but knowing you. And yes, Lord, I, I do want precise and correct knowledge of you. But perhaps even more than that, I just want you. Lord, I do want to gnosko you. I, I want this eternal life. And I know I have it, I, I get that, but... Uh, seems like this idea of gnosko is that it only deepens and it only expands. So Lord, don't let me be content. Don't let me be fully satisfied. Don't let me hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let me crave the deep things of you. Hey, let me spend 24 hours a day, every day, no matter what I'm doing, somehow just yearning, craving you all the more. And Lord, I thank you that you have given us the wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that we don't have to seek after it. You've already provided it. So Lord, I pray that we would live in that reality. And for each of us, Jesus, I pray that you would take us to another level, that you would deepen us in our understanding, in our intimacy, 
and the depth. Lord, I pray that your life would be more fuller exhibited through our lives. That this world would not see us, they would see Christians. Which means they see you. And as T. Austin Sparks said, I pray that you would only grow bigger and bigger as time goes on. For that is the reality of the Christian life. Lord, what an amazing reality that we get to experience and have with you. You are so good. You are so good. We love you. Let's give the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.